All right, well, if you have a Bible, open up to the book of Philippians, Philippians in the New Testament, chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be in verses 1 through 8 this morning. So Philippians 2, we're going to be in 1 through 8. Uh, we are continuing our series now in the fourth week called Challenged Values. So what we're doing is we're taking some time uh, each week to look at each of our core values here at Kernan uh, one by one. And these values really serve as the guardrails for us as we pursue the vision we believe God has given us as a church. And so I preached a sermon, the first sermon of the year actually, uh, back in January about the vision that we're pursuing as a church. And so you can go back on the website or on the podcast and check that out. Uh, But these core values are the ones that actually keep us on that road. They keep us on that path centered on Christ, on the gospel and who he wants us to become. And so specifically, we're looking at how these values will be challenged in different ways. So the point of this series is to really answer the question, how can we stay true to our values as a church in the face of all these different challenges and obstacles that may come our way? So today, we are looking at Kernan's core value, number four, we serve the needs of others before our own. We serve the needs of others before our own. So let's pray and ask Jesus to help us understand his truth about this uh, as we dig into it. Lord, thank you again for allowing us to be here today. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would get all honor and glory as we talk about the need to serve others. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand exactly what this looks like in our lives and how potentially our thinking about this must change. So Holy Spirit, would you change our thinking if that's what needs to take place today, but also encourage us and let us see that we can do this in the power of your name. Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, we live in a culture that is really obsessed with self. Everywhere you look, whether it's in advertisements on the internet, or perhaps, you know, those annoying advertisements that you see in your Facebook feed, like, why are these things keep popping up in my Facebook feed. Like, no, I don't want to buy that car today. I don't want to do that, right? Or the self-help section of a bookstore, right? For those of you who still go in real physical bookstores, they have this self-help section, right? And it's a whole bunch of books about how you can improve your life and how all that really matters is your happiness and your, you know, self-awareness and how much you can improve yourself. I mean, just to prove that we can do things by ourselves and we don't really need other people, we have created the self-checkout line at grocery stores, which I kind of hate, honestly. Like, I'm still not comfortable buying fruit on those self-checkout aisles by myself. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to weigh this. Am I doing this right? I don't know. Is this the right kind of apple? I'm not sure, right? I just want a person to check out my fruit. Is that okay? Can we do that, right? But in these, in these scenarios all around us, we just have all of these cultural things around us that are constantly saying, it's all about you, and you don't really need anybody. You can figure this out, you can do it yourself, and you need this product to improve yourself. But ultimately, it's about self-improvement. Well, this week, this week as I was preparing for the sermon, I came across two different articles Uh, One 
in Time Magazine by a uh, secular psychologist, the other article by a Christian pastor, and interestingly, both of them, though they are coming from completely different backgrounds, uh, both are recognizing that if you focus, if you focus too much on yourself, get this, it's actually detrimental to yourself. Interesting, right? So Time Magazine article was published last year by psychologist Maital Eyal, and she says this, she says, self-love is often used by corporations and influencers alike to sell products and keep people hyper-fixated on themselves. But studies show that too much focus on oneself is associated with anxiety and depression. Right, so even you know, this non, from a non-Christian viewpoint, there's still this understanding now in our world that perhaps we have focused too much on ourselves to a point where now it's actually causing us to be constantly anxious and perhaps even depressed. So then on the other side of the spectrum, a Christian pastor writes an article I came across. He says, uh, this is from Kerry Newhoff. Kerry Newhoff says, selfishness is a paradox. You end up being self-focused and selfish because you think it's going to get you ahead. But in reality, it alienates you from everyone around you. He says, the curse of self-obsession is this. A life devoted to self ultimately leaves you alone. Think about it. Nobody likes to be around selfish people. You don't, I don't. People who devote their lives to the cause of me ultimately find themselves alone. The very thing they hope to gain through self-promotion and self-focus is the very thing they lose. It's a cruel twist, he says. And I think this is extremely interesting because both the secular world and the Christian world, both viewpoints are coming together in agreement and saying something isn't working right. Something is not right when we focus so much as a society on self-improvement and we focus so much on how we can become, can become better versions of ourselves and we, we, when we get hyper-fixated on that so that we consume our thoughts really with just ourselves, how good or bad we're doing, and we begin to completely eventually just kind of ignore the world around us or at least only use the world around us in manipulation of some sort to feed our own self. And so we become blind to the needs of others. We become perhaps indifferent to those who are struggling around us because all we can think about is ourself. But both the Christian and the secularist would, would both agree, right, this is a problem, but what is the solution? What is the solution to this? Now, as Christians, we know that this is not a new problem in the world, right? This has been around forever. This is rooted in the first human's selfishness. When God created the first humans in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, he gives them a wonderful paradise to live in with him. He gives them the perfect stage for them to thrive. God wanted humanity to flourish, 
But the way they would flourish and the way they would thrive would be by living according to his good moral rules and good commands and good design that would promote life, love, peace, joy, happiness. God designed the world to work in that way. And so when the first humans decide, when they're tempted to take this fruit, as you may recall in Genesis 3, right? When, when Satan tempts them to rebel against God, it wasn't about the fruit, right? It was about the act of being your own authority. It was about proving that I can just go through the self-checkout line and not need anybody else, right? I don't need God. It was about proving that I can do it myself, God. So I'm going to do this just to prove that I can. And this selfishness spilled over into our nature as humans. And so as their descendants, we're all living in the same inclination to do what is for me and best for me first. And then if I have the time or the leftover money or whatever, I'll look to the interests of others. So as Christians, we know this is not a new problem. It's been going on literally since the first humans walked the earth. So it's no wonder then that when Jesus comes to earth, God in the flesh, God himself comes to earth, Jesus the Son of God, he preaches a message that completely flies in the face of selfishness. And it completely flies in the face of our culture's obsession with self today. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 16. He told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. See, that goes completely against everything that we're taught. Deny himself, Jesus says, and take up his cross and follow me. Denying ourselves is completely contradictory to everything we are told, to everything we're told that we have to have and that we need to be. Look at what else Jesus said, though, in Matthew 22. Jesus said the two greatest commands in the entire Bible, guess what? They're not about yourself. They are oriented around God and others. Look what he said. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Love God first. And a second, Jesus said, is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, by saying love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus acknowledges that, yes, we do love ourselves and we should love ourselves and, and take care of ourselves. That is good. That is appropriate at the right level, of course. But he knows that cannot be. Love for ourselves cannot be our ultimate fixation, though. And he knows that that is what we're naturally inclined towards. So what does Jesus do? He, he turns our attention away. He says the two greatest commands are not to love yourself first and then whatever emotional energy you have left, love God and then love other people, maybe secondarily or tertiary, right? He says, no, he says, he turns our attention away from ourselves and he says we must love God first. That's where it has to start. We have to love God more and our fellow human beings just as much as we would love ourselves. But how in the world, I mean, how in the world are we supposed to go about that? Like for real, in the bombardment of advertisements and marketing campaigns and just all the things around us on top, I mean, 
our culture today just pours gasoline on our already selfish hearts that we inherited as humans. So what do we do about this? Right? I mean, let's be real. Can, can we live selflessly in this world today? Is it really possible? So our fourth core value here at Kernan is just one sentence. And so guess what? It's not going to cover all the bases. It's not going to cover every single angle that we could approach this topic from. But we do believe, we do believe it can help us fulfill Jesus' command to live for the good of others. To not be consumed with self. So we serve. We serve the needs of others before our own. Why do we do that? How do we do that? Well, we're going to look at Philippians 2 today to answer that. We're going to look at Philippians 2 to see why this is true, right? Why should we serve the needs of others before our own? And what's, what's really at the heart of this? Well, here's the first thing we have to realize. As Christians, number one, we are a part of something so much bigger and better than ourselves. You have to start here. You have to realize this first. If you really want to be like Christ, if you want to get over the culture's bombardment of self and your own selfish heart, right? If you want to burst out of that prison and be free to love and free to serve others for their good, not yours, but for their own good, you have to first realize what you are actually a part of. You're not isolated. It's not just about you. You're a part of something bigger. That's what Paul's getting at in Philippians 2, verses 1 and 2. Look at this. Paul says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation, not isolation, participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. There's a sameness Paul speaks of here. There is a unity Paul speaks of here. Now keep in mind, Paul is writing to a specific church, right? So he's writing to the church of, uh, in the ancient city, the ancient city of Philippi, Greece. So Philippi, Greece, in the ancient world, this is in probably mid-first century when he's writing this letter to them. Now, at this point, at this point in the history, uh, in the first century, all Christians at this point are relatively new and they're definitely a minority. So as a small and new minority in the midst of a large and demanding Greek, Greco-Roman culture, it would be easy for a Christian who's reading Paul's letter, right? It'd be easy for them to be swayed by the surrounding Greek culture and influence around them that they have grown up in, they've lived their whole lives in, worshiping false gods, pagan gods, being told, right, that they need to do what's best for themselves. All of these things that they've been accustomed to their whole lives. And then all of a sudden they hear a message from Jesus, the Son of God, no, you must deny yourself. And you must take up your cross and you must follow me. So they hear this message and they turn to Christ, they give their lives to Christ, and then they receive this letter from Paul. And all the social norms they've ever known, all the things they've ever been accustomed to, all of a sudden Paul's saying, you can't live like that anymore. You're going to have to think about what you're really a part of. You're going to have to see yourself as being part of the family of God first. 
So it'd be easy for them to feel alone as they seek to do this in their surrounding society and culture. It's, maybe it's easy for them to think it's me versus everybody else. How am I going to live this Christian life? How am I going to really follow Jesus? But Paul says, no, be encouraged. Be encouraged because you are part of something so much bigger and so much better than anything else that the world has to offer you. That anything else that the world says to you that you must have to feel better about yourself or you must do to promote yourself. No, he's reminding them here that they are united together. And how? How are they united together? He says you're united. You are united together in Christ. In Christ. He says they have participation together in the Spirit of God. You are united in Christ. You have participation together in the Spirit of God. That is who you really are, Christian. So that's just as much true for us today in the year 2024. As a Christian, even though you live in the midst of a society that says it's really just all about you, focus on you, Focus on self-improvement. Don't even worry about what everybody else is thinking and doing. It's just, I mean, you can worry about them, but as long as it feeds you, as long as they help you become a better version of you, do you see it? We're just constantly around us. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You, first of all, are it's not about you, right? You're a part of something bigger than yourself. So Paul says, you're a part of God's family. You are a citizen of his kingdom first. So we're far stronger together, Paul believes, with all of his heart. We're far far stronger together as God's people than we would ever be alone. But that's who you are. You really are united to other Christians by the blood of Jesus. But you have to live in that reality. So we recognize this is who we are as God's people. From all different socioeconomic statuses, different race and ethnicities, different parts of the world, different stories, different backgrounds, different ways that we all came here and got to this point in our lives. But here we are because we are united by something not in the world. We are united by Christ. His blood spilt for us, unites us, bonds us as a family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. But we have to live. We have to live out this reality. It's not wishful thinking. It's really who you are, but you have to live in this reality. If you aren't sharing your life with other Christians, of course, you're going to feel like you're not a part of a family of God. If you're not spending time with other Christians, you will feel lonely and isolated. But the point is, that's not who you really are, right? You are united to other believers spiritually, so live that way practically. Get to know other Christians, right? That's so important. Be friends with other Christians. Open up your life, open up your heart, open up your home to other Christians. Hey, listen, the church, yes, of course, I'm going to say this as a pastor, right? But it's true, and this is one great reason Christ gave us the church. But the church is really the place to start. I can't force you to be friends with other people here. Okay, I get it, (laughs) right? And I I don't expect you to be friends with everybody here. I know that's not possible. But find friends here at church. Be friends with people here at church. Just at least try, right? See, our culture's obsession with self has a funny way of promoting community and having friends 
Our culture acknowledges that we need to belong to something. Our culture acknowledges that, yes, we need others around us. Of course, we hear that a lot as well. But it's always in the name of self-love and self-improvement. If you listen closely, if you listen closely to the message that is being preached, if you listen closely to why you need to be a part of a larger community or why you need to find a group of friends, it's always, it always comes back to whatever is best for you. It's not really what's best for them. It's if it works for you. We hear this in even just the general worldly marriage advice, right? Well, if this person, is this person a good potential spouse? Well, if it works for you. If they can make you a better version of you, then maybe you should marry them. It's never about sacrificial love for the other. It all comes back to if it works for me. You should have friends. You should be a part of something because ultimately it's good for you, for your own well-being. Now, next week we're going to talk a little bit more, a lot more, about the importance of the local church. I'm going to move on. But the first step, the first step in, in serving the needs of others before your own is, is realizing that we as a church, we need each other. Radical individualism just doesn't work in the family of God. We were designed for each other. So we must realize that first before we can serve others and put the interests of others before our own. So remember, you belong to something so much better, so much bigger than anything you could ever muster up on your own. So how should that play out in our daily lives? Well, that brings us to the second point. Think of and serve others first. That's what we must do. We must think of and actually serve others first. This is exactly the next part that Paul goes into in this paragraph in his letter. He says, verse 3 and 4, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Boy, that is not easy to do, though. Can we, can we be honest, right? Are you really counting others more significant than yourselves? I mean, if you think you are, if you're prideful enough right now to say, yes, I do, right? Let me just throw a little test out there for you, okay? So the next time that you and a group of friends or family are all together and you take a big group picture, all right? And everybody's looking at, you know, it's on our, it's on our phones these days, right? So everybody's passing around the phone, everybody's looking at it, and everybody else in the room loves the picture, but your eyes were closed. And, and everybody around you, I mean, your, your friend or your family member, they're saying, oh my goodness, this is the best picture I've ever taken of, of, of me. This is so good. We, we have to post this on the internet. But you're sitting there thinking, no, my eyes were closed, right? And the first person you looked at when you looked at the picture was not everybody else and how great they look. No, you looked at yourself first and you noticed that your eyes were closed. We can't post this picture. No, but it's the best one of me. No, it's the worst one of me. Who wins? I don't know. You have to arm wrestle or something for that one, right? You see, it's true, isn't it? When we have the opportunity, are we actually thinking about others first? Do we ever really look to the needs of others first? Paul says, we must count others more significant than yourselves. 
He says this is done in a particular way. He says this is done in humility. This is not saying, by the way, that we should have low self-esteem. That's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying that Christians should just walk around only, you know, only thinking of other people to the point that you're depressed because you never help yourself and, and you just have very low self-esteem and you think everyone else is more superior than you. That's not what he's saying. That's not what humility is. So what is it? I love how C.S. Lewis talks about humility in his book, his famous and classic book, Mere Christianity. Lewis talks about what the humble person actually looks like. He says, the humble man will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. Rick Warren, uh, in his book, famous book, The Purpose Driven Life, he, I think he kind of stole this from Lewis and re-articulated it, which is fine. But here's what he says. He said this very well. He says, humility... Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Humility is thinking more of others. Humble people are so focused on serving others, they don't think of themselves. Wow. Boy, this is just not natural, is it? It's not natural. Now, how can we serve the needs of others before our own, practically speaking? If we're thinking of others first, if we're serving others first, how can we put the interests of others before our own? You know, I think some practical things you can do is just think about the conversations you have with people. Now, some of us, when we're having one-on-one conversation with somebody, we just, it's like pressing a, a tape recorder like they pressed a tape recorder in your brain and you just talk for 10 minutes about yourself and nothing else. And you never ask them a question about themselves or how they're doing. Do you see this happening sometimes? You know one of the best things you can do just to have good conversation and be a humble person is show genuine interest in the person you're talking to by asking them questions. So don't just talk about yourself the whole time. <laughs> Even, you know, Kerry Newhoff was talking about in his article too. He said, you know, conversation is so funny these days. It's like, I'll talk for two minutes about myself and what's going on in my life. And then, okay, now it's your turn. Now you talk for three or four minutes about yourself and what's going on in your life. Okay, now pass it back to me. Now here's some more stuff going on about me and my life. And we never actually engage in deep dialogue about anything interesting <laughs> or that's not superficial or even if it is serious conversation, we don't ask questions. We don't show genuine interest in the other person. What about this? In the church. How can we serve the needs of others in the church? What if we, what if we start thinking, how can I actually make a difference here? Like I, I know that church is a great place for me to come and, and be fed and, and feel good when I leave. And all that's great, of course, sure. But what can I give? What can I contribute? What can I do to help others here grow in their faith? How can I come along somebody here at this church and really encourage them and make a difference and an impact in their life? What about this out in the world? The people around you, your neighbors that you maybe rarely talk to, how can you, how can you get to know them? 
How can you actually not be weird about it, but just be friendly, right? How can you step out of your comfort zone and be friends with your coworkers and those around you who don't know Christ and actually show real genuine interest in their lives instead of only thinking about how it's incredibly inconvenient for you and your schedule to get involved in anyone else's messy life? You see, if we're going to serve, if we're going to ever get over ourselves, we have to think of and serve others first. Now, if you've been listening well today, you probably feel, but isn't something missing? You're telling us to serve others. You're telling us we should think of others first. But you've already also told us that this is, it's natural for us not to do that. So this seems contradictory. How do we get past it? Doesn't it feel like something's missing? What's our real motivation to even do this? What's the power to do this? And that brings us to the next verse in Paul's paragraph here in Philippians 2. The third thing we must see, the power, the motivation, the paradigm, the model that we must follow is that we must look to and follow Jesus' example. Look at this. I love how Paul starts with reminding us of who we really are, united in Christ as one body of believers, and then he goes into what we must do, right? So don't do anything from selfish ambition. Count others more significant than yourselves. Look, not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. But now here's why, and here's how, and here's the motivation, and here's the power that you will ever do these things. Verse five, he says, have this mind, have this perspective, have this mindset, have this way of life about you among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Paul says the motivation and the paradigm, the model for us truly ever, ever, ever getting over ourselves, ever looking beyond what benefits me and actually genuinely caring about others and genuinely serving the needs of others, Paul says it's by experiencing the selflessness, the selflessness of Jesus Christ. How do we do that? by dwelling in his love for us, by basking in the truth of what he has done for us and out of gratitude, when we know what we've been given, when we know what's been done for us, how can we not turn our attention to something greater? Look at what Paul says next. So what about this Christ? What about this Jesus? What did he do? Where's the power? to get over yourself, to serve others? Well, look what he did. Paul says, Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, Jesus is God. And Jesus, the eternal creator and king of the universe, had all the riches of heaven. He had all of the comfort and riches of heaven as the ruler and king of all things and all people. But he did not take advantage of his status. He did not take advantage of the fact that he had it all. No, he gave it all up. So he didn't take advantage of this. And what did he do? Verse seven, he emptied, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. 
being born in the likeness of men. Do you see how radically unselfish this is? This is the most sacrificial, loving thing you could ever imagine. That the God of the universe would empty himself, would put himself in the middle of our mess of our own making that we have made. He says, I know that they cannot pull themselves out of this pit they have dug. So in a heart of compassion, in a heart of love, and through an act of sacrifice, Jesus comes to earth to save and rescue you. Now, is that humility? Is that genuinely caring more about the interests of others before his own? Is that counting you more significant than himself? Absolutely it is. Verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Obedient, not just to put on a good show, not just to prove that he could do it, not just to somehow benefit himself, but no, he became obedient to the point of death. Giving it all. Even death on a cross, which was a brutal form of execution used by the Roman Empire in the first century. The worst, the most excruciating you can imagine. Jesus says, I love you so much that I am willing to do this. I count you so significant. I value your life so much that I will lose mine so that you can find yours. That is the definition of humility. That is the definition of love and service. It is defined by sacrifice. When you think about what Jesus has sacrificed to save you, to love you, to serve you, when you think about how much you've been given, how can we not? How can we not just explode with a joy that overflows and frees us? and liberates us to not be a slave to our own selfish ambitions, to our own conceit, to our own self-glory. But we say, no, I want my life to glorify the one who gave up his glory so that I could one day be glorified in heaven with him. How can my life not, not be a service to what he's done by serving those whom he has died for, by serving those around me, by serving those whom he had compassion on. How can I not have compassion? How can I not love? How can I not serve? When I know how beautiful my Savior has been to me, when I know how much I've been given in the kingdom that awaits me for all of eternity, how can I not share? How can I not give the hope of this good news? How can I not sacrifice my time? He sacrificed his life. How can I not sacrifice my time? How can I not sacrifice maybe even my emotional energy, my calendar, my wishes, my dreams? How can I not sacrifice these things to serve the needs of others before my own? That's true love. That is true love for one another. That's true love for those around us. It's true love for the Lord that we would sacrifice as he has done for us. Jesus said in Mark 10, for even the Son of Man, speaking of himself, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When Jesus hung on the cross, he took all of your selfishness on himself. Do you know that? Do you know that what he died for was your selfishness? (laughs) My selfishness. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, he's taking every selfish ambition I've ever pursued, that you've ever pursued. He's taken every selfish thing we've ever done, every thought, every selfish manipulative thought we've ever had. Maybe we didn't even act on it, but we just had it. That in and of itself, he took it on himself. On the cross, he took all of your sin, all of your self-centeredness on himself so that you could be a part of something bigger than yourself. So that you could escape, escape the enslavement to yourself. Do you see how the words of Jesus ring true now? Maybe a little clearer when he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If we're not serving the needs of others before our own, I don't think we're really living in the gospel truth that has saved us in the first place. Jesus said the way you will know that we are his disciples is if we love one another. So what about you? How are you serving the needs of others before your own? In your family life, how are you doing that? In your church life, how are you doing that? In your social life, in your life around your neighbors, your coworkers, those around you who don't know Christ, how are you serving their needs before your own. If you need motivation, if you don't feel like doing that, let me encourage you to do it anyway. The feelings will follow. Let me say that again. If you don't feel like serving others sometimes, let me encourage you to do it anyway. The feelings will follow. As you learn to serve, as you discipline yourself, as you train yourself to serve others in all these different facets of life, You may not feel compassion and love for the person at first. And okay, keep serving them. The love and the compassion will follow the action. Just follow the example of Christ and watch him. Watch him change you. Watch him change yourself to be selfless. Can we live this way? only if we follow Christ's example. I want us to pray, and I want us to think about some of these things. As we go to the Lord in prayer, you can go ahead and bow your head. As we go to the Lord in prayer, I want you to just take a moment and just do a couple of things. Number one, would you confess to the Lord and just be honest with Him right now and just say, Lord, I am so sorry that I have lived so selfishly for these past few days, weeks, months, maybe years, wherever that is for you, would you just say that to the Lord in your own heart right now? Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Forgive me for living ultimately for me. Maybe some of you need to turn your life to Christ right now. This is the moment. This is it. 
God has brought you to this point in your life for a reason. And it's not a mistake that you're sitting in this room right now listening to a message about denying yourself and following Jesus. Just confess to the Lord that you need Him, that He is your Savior, that you love Him, you want to love Him, and maybe you're not even sure how. Just ask Him to be the Lord, to be the Savior of your life. Commit your life to following Him. Maybe some of you need a plan of action. You love Jesus, you belong to the Lord, maybe you belong to this church. Maybe you've been attending for a while, and so the prayer right now is, Lord, show me how, show me how I can practically be involved. Show me how I can really make an impact on someone else's life, whether that be serving here in the church, talking to one of our staff members after the service today about how I can be involved, what I can do to help. Maybe it's just serving my neighbors and doing things for them where they see the light of Christ in me. And it opens up a bridge, it opens up a door to get to know them on a personal level so that I can share my faith with them in a way that is trusted and understood. What's the next step for you? Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you. We thank you that you gave it up all. You gave up all for us. Lord, you sacrificed yourself. You sacrificed everything. You gave up yourself so that we would not have to be enslaved to ourselves. It's perfect. It's perfect what you did. It is truly perfect. Only you could do it. Only you could save us from ourselves by serving us. So Jesus, let us follow your example. Let us serve the needs of others before our own. The world is telling us not to do that. Our own hearts, Lord, are telling us, no, it's not convenient. It's not convenient. You can't do this. You can't afford it. Lord, may we listen not to these voices, but to your voice today. Jesus, speak to our hearts. Let us hear your voice. Show us. Show us how. Show us what to do. Show us, Lord, how to serve the needs of others before our own, just like you did for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.